everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with today's guest, Jeanette Rizzi, comedian, writer, documentarian, um, activist for suicide prevention. Does that feel, do, do those uh, descriptions feel right? Yes, that's Floridian much. and former <laughs> Floridian. Yes, yes, former for Floridian. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. That sounds that sound like I'm saying I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here hosting my own show. But anyway, okay, so you are doing your one-woman show, Blindsided, at the Hollywood Improv on October 20th, which is, when people are hearing this, it will be Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a show about the suicide of your best friend when you were very young. However, I've been told it's very funny as well. <laughs> yes, which sounds awkward as usual. People, th- I, That's how I explain it too when I invite people because you say suicide and everyone's like, oh, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, it's super funny, but that doesn't sound right. But it is. It's funny. Um, yeah, so it's the story. I actually lost two very good friends when I was in high school to suicide. So it is my story of overcoming, um, obviously, that tragedy. But, uh, you know, I'm raised in this very small town and my mother was a nun and my father was a monk and they're from New York. And And say the name of the town just in case there's a couple people who know it. Alachua, Florida. So it's right outside of Gainesville, um, which everybody knows the Florida Gators. But uh, yeah, so it's a little town outside of Gainesville. And and so my parents, they moved from Brooklyn to this little town. And so it sort of provides the backdrop for all the humor with this nun and the monk and, you know kind of redneck land <laughs> right and all the proceeds from the show go to the dd hirsch mental health services correct uh, specifically for suicide prevention because mm-hmm. they do a lot of great things um so they it's going for suicide prevention mm-hmm. so your one woman show is this something that you've done a lot of other places as well and you're just bringing it for one night to the hollywood improv so well no it's it's kind of been me on my own because as you can imagine a lot of people don't line up when you're like yeah (laughs) i wrote this one woman show and it's about suicide everybody's ah and the people who do are probably (laughs) hurting yeah, exactly. So, you know, most people are surprised that it is so funny. Um, mm-hmm. And then I did that um, on purpose because it's just – otherwise, if you've watched anything on suicide at the end of it, you're like, oh, God, I'm so depressed. And I didn't want this to be like that. I wanted to give hope right. and be funny. So so along the way, I haven't really had a lot of people hop on board. So what I <laughs> – right. <laughs> I produce it by myself usually in some way. You know, I save the money and I do it once or twice a year. So I've done it, though, um, probably about 16 times in a spin. But I've been working on this for 16 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, every you know year I try to save up. And then I was lucky enough that the improv was just so generous and that they donated the space for me to do this show. Um, I don't know if you know Rita over at the improv, but she's just so nice. And it was so so nice of them to give that to me so that we can give all the proceeds to Dee Dee Hirsch, mm-hmm. which is great. So... I'm trying to think where to jump in. Oh, and you're also doing it in conjunction with Laugh Spin, right? Because yes. I know. So that's that's how. That's how we got. Yeah, that's how. Yes. Exactly. Because I know Dylan 
who runs Laugh Spin mm-hmm. from years ago when we were both in New York. Yeah, so um, Dylan came in uh, and is helping me. He's producing the show, and he's amazing, and he's ob- helping me get uh, press as well. So I love Dylan. He- he's great. He's a rock star, totally. Just, <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like, go here, go yeah. there. I got this, I got that. And I've been doing this for so long, and I-, I started to work with him, and a week later, I said, Dylan, you've gotten me more in one week than people have in two and three years when I've worked with them. So He's persistent, but in a non-annoying way which we could all take a lesson from that well that's good i'm a like send one email oh they didn't write back okay never mind kind of person right which is like not the way to be yeah i'm sort of i've learned because i used to be like that and now i'm like okay it's follow up especially in this town yeah like nine times and then finally someone will either tell (laughs) you you know f off or or they'll help you yeah <laughs> so and dylan also produced mark maron's scorch the earth one man show mm-hmm. which i remember seeing in new york too um okay so let's just i'm trying to f- I have some there's so many different angles i want to approach this from i say let's just jump in and just, you just tell me your story okay <laughs> well um let's see so the way this story happened i um you know i sort of grew up as feeling like the fish out of water because i was this you know very italian kid in this little you know country town it was so country that when my mom went to the grocery store the very first time and imagine a nun that's like five feet tall my mom talks very soft and she <laughs> went to, and they said to her we don't sell to yankees and wow so, i mean that's so you can picture the kind of town i grew up in and why did your former nun and former monk parents first of all why did they de-nun and de-monk and also why did they choose this town if they're from brooklyn Oh, so my father wanted to be like St. Francis and surround himself with all, you know, animals. And so he bought this big farm in Alachua. Um, well, my, my dad worked in healthcare administration in Shands, which is the University of Florida's hospital. Uh, he actually got hired. Okay. And, and and so then he started to drive, you know, kind of around and discovered this little town and bought this 17-acre farm where he wanted horses and cows. And, mm. and, and he just wasn't very, you know, he, he kind of just found his way. But, you know, being the monk that he was, he dragged me to the, the you know the I was going to say farmers market but that's not it the, the livestock shows and like you know they'd have these big expensive bulls and he would just buy the sick bull because he felt bad for it <laughs> and then he'd bring it home and want to nurse it back to life so we we that's how he sort of started and then he'd buy chickens and so we lived on this farm and you know my mom was a kindergarten teacher and in um my dad was worked in healthcare administration and then was a, a farmer, I guess, on the weekend. So how did they meet? So um, both of my parents had actually left their orders. Oh, they had. So, yeah. My dad always was like, you better not make that a juicier story than it really is. <laughs> no, they had both them. It sounds it does. somewhat juicy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both left their orders and then like my dad was studying at Brooklyn College and it had just become co-ed so there was only a couple females in mm-hmm. there and my mother was one of them and my dad said he just kind of watched her talk everybody's ear off until one by one nobody was left and then he <laughs> asked her to the spring dance and then they got married um, and they did get for that time like they got married when they were you know at that time 25 26 is considered older ancient yeah um is there not any juiciness to the story of them both deciding to to not be nuns and monks anymore? I mean, even if it's not juicy, do you know well, what yeah, their thought well, process was? Yeah, well, my um, mother, if my mom always loves that line from a Sister Act when the nun says, I was either going to be a stewardess or uh, a, a nun. <laughs> and then uh, my mom always, it's hysterical because when you ask her about it, she just says... Um, 
you know, what are, Jeanette, you know what I can't live without. And it's true. Almond Joys, the candy, and Colgate toothpaste. Like, if you go You can't to, have those no, if you're a nun? No, they take it. So my my grandpa used to slide them under the table to my mom. And then, the and, you know, she said, when the mother superior took those away, that was it. Like, she can't live Wait, without her Almond Joy and her Colgate toothpaste. Like, why can't you have that? Because you have to give everything to God. And so they took everything away. And so she just said she could. You I know, feel like the Almond Joy and the Colgate really takes a backseat to the no sex thing. Because that's the one that everyone knows. But right. there's other things too. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, some people can live without sex. But my mom could not live without. She literally is, is crazy with that that Colgate toothpaste. When I was, you know, just learning to drive. And of mm-hmm. course in Alachua, it was like 45 minutes to the groceries to Publix, which everybody loves. <laughs> and you go. And if I brought back the wrong kind, she would just no you have to get Colgate. She's very she's she's adamant about that so Colgate toothpaste. What do nuns brush their teeth with, or don't they? Well, they brush their teeth. I don't really know what, but it's not Colgate. Toothpaste, okay, it's not so brand name. It could have been Aquafresh, and my mother <laughs> wasn't having it. Like, <laughs> nope, she has to have her Colgate toothpaste. So, yeah. So she left, and she she said she you know thought she could do more in the world being outside, and and she wanted children of her own. Mm. And my father. Um, he had been he was in the monastery from thirteen to twenty two. Wow. And then he went into the Coast Guard. So he came out again just wanting children and then he met my mom and right. um and they both uh you know, my mother even, you know, afterwards, she she really did a lot with children where I grew where I grew up was very there was a lot of poor children and she, you know, did the free, go get the food from Publix that they were throwing out and take it to the poor. So she continued on and she did worked wonders in many children's lives and worked for Head Start, but she just wanted to do that instead. So you come from a giving back humanitarian kind of upbringing. Right. Yeah, I do. I mean, that's I, mean, I feel like what neither I, of those words are right. What, well, what are the you words know, I'm I would for? go more for just being terrified of God, and you better do good for people, or else you know He's going to break your leg or something. So yeah, oh, is my, that what He does? <laughs> that's what. Like we're we're raised like, oh, God's going to punish me. That Catholic guilt. So no, but my mom. When I was growing up, my mom said, you know, if you can't go to church, then you better do nice things for people. And I, after Katie died, I can't I can't walk into church. I cannot go near churches. It's just instant. Why? I can't breathe in them. It's because it's just – it's like – well, because Frank had died and then the anniversary of his death, she died. And then like the next year on the anniversary, my grandmother died. And it was just death after death mm-hmm. after death. And then – um, so that's all I associate with it. And I, if I walk into churches, I can't breathe. So – I remember the night that Katie died. My mom just said to me, I know you and I know you'll figure out something good to make out of this. And so it kind of sat with me for a while. And I was really struggling to live for a long time. I mean, it was it was really tough. And I thought, well, maybe if I go do nice things for other people, it'll it'll make me feel better. And so I kind of just the first time I did the show, it was not ready. Like I had the script on the stage and just I was in this stuffy room in North Hollywood and I, I'm you know by day I'm a personal trainer and mm-hmm. I had a lot of my clients that just loved me came in and I just did the show pretty much off the books and gave all the money to charity and it did work like um, I just kind of was like oh well um, I feel a little better so let's do it again and so that's kind of what I've been doing all along mm-hmm. so tell me about um, Frank and Katie so Frank and I, we were in, we actually, Frank was with me in kindergarten. So Frank and I were the same age. Was your school small? 
Yeah, we were. Yeah, we had like uh, there was Alachua and then there was High Springs. So there were two small towns and then the high. It was actually, you know, before everything, when it was segregated, it was like the white high mm-hmm. school and the black high school. And then they kind of turned those into middle schools and then made Santa Fe High School. So Frank and I went, were in kindergarten together and we were in the same grade. So we grew up and we were there was very there was probably five Catholic kids in the town. So mm-hmm. Frank and I did the whole communion, everything all the way up. So we were, you know, just, it was just this tight, small town. And there was about five friends that we went to kindergarten and first grade all the way through our senior year. Which kind of grew when, up together. Yeah. And, you know, his sisters were on my softball team and um, my mom was their kindergarten teacher. Their mom was my fifth grade teacher, kind of that small town. Right. And so... Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and an older sister. Okay. And so um, we just grew up as really close friends. And so Frank's suicide was our senior year of high school. And then Katie didn't come to our high school until she was a freshman. Her older sister is my – we were in the same mm-hmm. grade. But Katie's older sister and my older sister were a lot alike. And so I kind of saw in Katie like what I would go through. Like kind of – not that – you know, they're big older sisters. Everybody has a big older sister. They know how big older sisters are. They're bossy and you know, Oh, my God. I am, I am that, I am that <laughs> sister. <laughs> so you're, I you know. Well, I mean I – I look at it more like they're inspiring and motivational, <laughs> generous well, with their time, <laughs> willing to lend a shoulder cry on. And, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> I think my sister how how about you guys just give you you are all of that just with tough love sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we kind of just bonded off of that. And then, um, you know, it, it's this small town vibe where like. My um, sister was getting married, or she had dated her. Her and her husband are still married, but they were, you know, high your school bossy sweethearts. sister. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're they were high school sweethearts, and so her husband and his younger brother and me were in the same grade, and so like he became Katie's boyfriend and Michael set me up with a guy. So we were constantly all mm-hmm. you know just together, and and um, yeah, but uh, you don't you can't say why anybody does anything, but you know certainly. There, Katie and Frank had a crush on each other, and you know it had been relayed that he had maybe left her name in the note, and then it oh was just boy. back to back. What was the time period? Like a how year, long exactly? Mm-hmm. So they were. So it was related for sure. Though. Oh yeah, I, I think. I mean, it, I, I, I put it this way: had Katie and Frank not killed themselves, I don't think it would have. Ever, I would have had the struggle with life that I've had, right? Because it gets in your head, you know, and you the well, blame. Yeah, you, I know that you have dealt. Oh, you have yeah. been suicidal oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Is that after they killed themselves it was just years of building up to Mm -hmm. it and um because i i had gotten into this this stage where i was terrified to say anything to anybody because to defend myself because i was like oh well if i say you know to defend me against like a boyfriend that i had or i was terrified that everybody around me was going to kill themselves um and so I kind of just held in a lot of the pain. And plus being raised, be nice. Don't say anything mean. Mm. God's going to get mad at you. God wants you to be good. God, oh, like if you defended yourself, you were afraid that that, they, that yeah. would be the thing that yeah, pushed that them over the Yeah, that would be the thing that pushed them okay. over the edge. So I have had, you know, I had a boyfriend that wasn't good for me, but I was more worried about him just keeping him alive yeah then and 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 it's a weird thing to think that now because mm-hmm. now you once you get through that dark side you can kind of see like well you it's not you but it took a long time for me to see that katie because she called me the night before she killed herself and i didn't call her back so there was a lot of just yep. what if what yeah. if i called back what if i had done this or that and so um it wasn't until i was writing my show and um 
I started to describe the funeral scene. And this was like, God, probably 15 years after she died. And then I kind of shut my eyes and I remembered that she had, when I saw her in her casket, she had, you know, dried blood under her nail that they didn't get. And I was like, literally, you've been thinking about this all your life, but the blood literally was on her hand. It's like you couldn't have done anything. And I read a lot of books of people who were suicide survivors as well. And they all said the same thing, you know, which is no one could have stopped them. Nobody could have stopped them. They, they, they tried everything. And, and those are, those were people that you knew. Frank, well, we didn't know either one, but when I see video of Frank, when I'm doing the stuff for the documentary, you can see the signs like his hair color changing and just outbursts, things like that. Mm. But Katie, that one came out of nowhere. There was no signs, no nothing. It just, that's why I titled the show, you know, blindsided. blindsided. Mm-hmm. Right. What I wonder though, cause I lost someone to suicide years and years ago. Um, and for a long time, afterwards i have felt like it's all sometimes i think it's only in retrospect that you see the signs because i feel like there's these after school specials and there's people that cut i don't i think someone probably came to our high school and talked about Mm -hmm. it and stuff um and they're like you know if someone gives away their personal items or if they do this or if they you know there are these signs and so i think i thought like oh i would i would be able to spot it and i think most people well well, I was going to say is I think most people end up feeling blindsided. That being said, I'm sure there are situations where the person has threatened it a number of times mm. and then goes through with it. And so that would be a different thing. But have yeah. you found that to be the case that most people feel blindsided? Well, from doing my show, when people who come up to me after the show, they say they all felt the same way. But I don't know if you've seen that documentary, The Bridge. No. Whew. Okay, well, when you watch it, it's very sad. So that's the thing. Yeah, like, that's more like if I watch it. I don't know if I can handle that. That's a bunch of people. It's about all about the jumpers, and right? The jumpers. Yeah. And one guy in particular, he had been for years telling his friends that they were, he was going to do it. And uh, and they said still they felt that way even right. when he actually did it. And he literally talked about it every day. Yeah, I think that the people close to you when that happens must not be taking it seriously because if they did, they would be doing something about it. Well, and I think too the other thing is how much can you take? Because it is hard to be on the other side of yeah. that. And that's why I never told anybody because you know it's I didn't want to exhaust anybody with it, but certainly I had signs too. And my mom is a childhood development specialist and she years later like when I was doing starting the documentary, she wrote a letter for me and said that looking back hindsight is 2020 20, and she should have known but I hit it. I had a after Katie died, my sister bought me a dog, so I created a voice for the dog. So the dog would say things because I was trying to tell people, but I was embarrassed because right. I literally thought I was going crazy. And so she says now she realizes like the dog was just so funny, but she realizes maybe um, that was a, a sign. Yeah, she should have paid a little more attention to what it. What was the dog saying? Suicidal things? He would. Yeah. Well, he would. He would just say things like, um, like I remember. I well, for example, I have trichotillomania. I don't know if you that's where you're you're it's like cutting, you know, when people cut themselves, but it's uh, I pull my hair out. Okay. So you've probably seen stuff like where mm. they they like they're bald. So I have that and so the Your dog, hair is so lush and beautiful right now. It's though. hiding a lot of bald spots because I'm really nervous about that show next week. But um so the dog would like point out that I'm pulling my hair out. Oh. You know what I mean? Oh right. Yeah, like the yeah, dog was the your dog, mediator. Yeah, exactly. And I remember right before um 
um, I did my very first show, my dad said, are there going to be any surprises in this show? And I was like, what, surpri- what surprise could what, – what surprise? And right. he's like, well, your sister blames us for a lot of things. Are you going to blame us? And I was like, my show isn't about you and mom. It's about overcoming you know, Katie's death and, and dealing with my own suicidal thoughts. And my dad said, since when were you suicidal? And the dog was like, surprise. <laughs> so you know it slowly flash started to tell them you know right (laughs) flash is your dog what kind of dog he was a mini dachshund i had him for he lived for 18 years wow Mm -hmm. after katie died then so 18 that's a really long time and he's really awesome it's funny because when people talk to me about the show the dog's the star of the show everybody wants to know about flash because he's he's the you know he he provides the comedy in the really hard times which he did in my life so so how long ago did you lose him i lost him a year and a half ago so that's recent yeah this shows the first time i talk about it in the show but you know flash was he he would have never let go until i told him to because mm-hmm. he just like it's it's a strange connection you can have with an animal and if you're not an animal person i think you really don't get it but yeah he he was everything in the world to me he was my little buddy so uh, but i i had another dog uh, jezebel She's the the older sister. She could relate to you. She, <laughs> now I have. Well, I am a nice person. <laughs> and then now I have Maximilian, the puppy, and they all they all talk like they all have their voices. But uh-huh. you know, Jezebel will talk to my sister about you know what it's like to be the older sister. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of I think how they I started to tell them and see the signs. But you can't. It's hard to tell with people because, you know, if anybody who sees my show, they were like, I would have never guessed that about you because I'm always bubbly and smiling and laughing and joking in the life of the room. And then I would just go home and be completely opposite. How suicidal were you? Like, did you have a plan? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought I, I, you, I wrote the letters and I, oh, wow. but, but the thing is, is that really the dog, I, I just couldn't figure out who could take care of him like I did and love him. And so there was just no way. Like, I, I, I have to say that. And I, and, and I think, thank God for the background that I was raised in because I am aware of what people need and when people hurt. And I didn't want to leave anybody with what I dealt with because that would kill my family. If, that, if I had done that. And I mm-hmm. always had a good grip on that, which I think Katie and Frank probably lost and people do lose um, because you do get in this where it doesn't matter what anybody says. You just – it's kind of – I always compare it to that um, – you know, in the emergency broadcast system, that beep comes on. That's what hits your head. Just like you can't think of anything else but that. Right. But luckily I had the dog with me. So, he, you know, I couldn't leave him as much as I had planned everything out. So. Right. How were you going to do it? Um, jumping seemed to be the easiest thing. Cause I, 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 I mean, it's doesn't, it's probably terrible to say, but I, you know, you think about driving your car into a tree, but I was like, I have such a terrible. <laughs> I won't die. I won't. Like I'll end up like I mean par- some would say that's good luck. I, I wouldn't die and then I'd have like I'd be all messed up and then my sister would yell at me and it would just be like <laughs> So yeah, I figured jumping off of something really high was the, pretty much the easiest thing to do, but And had you chosen that thing? No, I didn't go that far. I mean, I I lived on some pretty high balconies, but I you know, to be honest, I don't even know if I had done that would it have killed me. You just yeah. Was it was it like you were in such pain that you wanted it to end or did you want to be reunited with Frank and Katie? Was no, it-, it wasn't about re, re, like seeing them again or um, 
it was more just I couldn't get my head to turn off. Mm-hmm. It just this constant thought of it literally was just like a tape repeating in my head. I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. Like that's it. And I could not get it to stop at all. And so I just wanted that to stop. Really, I, I never thought like oh, I'll die and then I'll be happy in heaven with Katie and Frank. No, I never really thought that. It was just this, I couldn't get my brain to stop with the thought. Interesting. Yeah. And so. Did it, did it feel like your own, like, did it feel like you were hearing voices or did it feel like your own will wanted to die? It or just neither. felt like it, literally any horrible thing anybody had said to me. And I, and I was, and I think people sense that. Like if you, I know that now, now that I'm out of it and I'm um, in my day job, you know, I'm kind of at the top of the food chain and I see bullies and they see how they feed off of people. And, 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 and my employees might not say I'm the best boss in the world, but they will say if they get bullied, that bully will get knocked down pretty quickly. And so at the time, I think that people saw that, that they could target me because mm-hmm. I was weak. And so the things that they would say to me would just repeat, repeat, repeat. And then um, I never had an acne problem in my life. And all of a sudden, it was just like I had terrible acne, just this awful, awful acne that I couldn't get rid of. And I was ripping my hair out. like So the bald spots were pretty bad. And then, like, um, you know, I was a trainer make, in my day job. And people would call me, you know, say things to me that I looked fat or I had gained weight. And so all of that stuff Who just Who would kept say this? Poor, just people in the gym. They would walk. It was an all-women's gym. So, you know, again, they would walk up and just say mean things. And um, so it was kind of these tapes of just getting beat down and beat down and right. beat down and beat down and beat down. And um, really not I, – I think when you lose people to suicide, you lose trust in people. Mm-hmm. So not really trusting anybody to be able to help. And then the, the real final kicker was the boyfriend that I had that I just – Adored for now looking back i don't know why but at the time i did like he was my world and he left he and he kind of like w- literally walked out of my life and that was just a final blow but um i've always had my sense of humor how did so you said now that you're on the other side of it like how did you get through it um well the talking to the dog and then um i i uh i got i went to well okay when i when katie and frank died well not when frank died but when katie died the year later my mom brought me to a therapist and and the first one i could do a whole one woman show just on therapy alone <laughs> the first therapist cry, i mean lay literally laid on the floor and cried her eyes out and was like i don't know how you're gonna survive this and i was are like, you serious yeah this and i Florida? was like yeah and i was like Aren't, um i she said how will you ever survive this and i was like i think you're supposed to help me with this <laughs> and i walked out with my like to my mom and i was you know 17 yeah. i'm like that that's crazy therapy's crazy and then they sent me to another <laughs> one and like he just kept saying he, he kept asking like did my mom um like was my childhood perfect and i was like well they were yeah they were fine i mean they were they could be better at christmas presents but other than and then he kept focusing on the christmas presents and i was like i think you should focus on the suicide yeah <laughs> and i'm sitting in his chair literally twisting my hair just into and he just didn't talk about that so you know so then i didn't go for all these years and then i think that was probably about nine years after katie died and then when my boyfriend left i i found it i was like i read this article actually in um, one of those you know people or self or some one of those magazines about because i was still having pretty bad acne and a girl said that she had um eczema Mm -hmm. and that if your soul is in pain that it's going to come out somewhere and so 
that really and I still have the article I saved it It was just this little thing and I was like I wonder if that's why my skin why I have such bad acne and so I was like you have to find a way to heal your soul and so I got a therapist and I went and found a late like a herbal doctor that took my blood to see why my skin was breaking out and um, I went through a whole, I was just on this mission to save mm-hmm. myself. And I really, you know, the dog, I literally, which it sounds insane, but I would come home every day and just flash would just say, don't, don't kill yourself, mom. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. And then I would just sit with the dog and when it would get really bad, that's all I do. And, um, exercise has always been very good for me because I refuse to take any meds. So I wasn't going to go that route. Had that been recommended to you? Oh, I thought, yeah, all the time. Because that's the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and I am very – I tread very carefully in my show because I don't want anybody who does take it because people need it and it helps a lot of people. But for me, I just was like I don't understand I, why I want to die because I have this family that loves me and I'm not – I'm smart and I, I have a lot of talents and <clears> – <throat> Well, like I haven't made it big in my comedy. I know that I'm funny and that it saves me and it sets mm-hmm. me apart. So just help me deal with it. And so I did um, just like breathing exercises they taught me. And I got hypnotized once and I don't remember much from it. But the one thing she said to me is like, if you feel like killing yourself, that means you feel like you're in danger and you feel like you can't live. So you should just get in your bed and shut your eyes. Because if it, you know, a grizzly bear standing over you, you can't do that. Physically, your body is not going to let you do that. But if you can get in your bed and just shut your eyes, you're okay. And let the dogs do their job. Let them love you. And so I kind of just stuck with all of those little techniques. And then learned that even if I did stand up for myself, they weren't going to kill themselves. And so I learned to tell people, you know, to stop and to back off and to defend myself. And um, I remember (laughs) the first time I knew I had gotten good at it. We were in Italy. My dad had taken me on a trip, like our first family trip to Italy. And I was probably like 24. And this guy was just... I had been in the pool peacefully minding my own business and this guy kept kind of like almost slamming into me and my mom kept going, Jeanette, you just move, just move out of the way. And I go, no, no, I was here first. I'm not moving. Like I'm happy in this spot. Why do I have to move? And she goes, what is this therapist teaching you? And I said, <laughs> I said, just stand up for myself, mom, which is what you should have taught me when I was little. And from then on, I kind of just got pretty good at it. So. <laughs> do you think... Do you think the depression and the the suicidal thoughts and stuff um, is is or was in you? And I'm wondering, like, if you hadn't lost your friends to suicide, do you think you still would have gone through that? Well, I know that I would have had the trichotillomania because I had that from when I um, I grew up. I had kidney disease, and so I know that when my mom, I'd have to, I had to have major surgeries, and when I would go for these doctor visits, I know that I was twisting my hair. Mm-hmm. So I and I know that I was raised to swallow when I'm mad, you know, to, like stand, to swallow it, to swallow the words. And and the more research I did on the trichotillomania, it, that's one of the things is when people don't know how to express their feelings. Right. And, um, and so I know that I would have had the, the problems with the hair because even my dad said when I was five, he was watching me and I was a brownie in a parade and he could, he was like, what is this? She, what is she doing with her hair? <laughs> Cause I wouldn't let it go, mm-hmm. but still they never did anything about it. So I know I would have had that, um, I don't know that necessarily the thought of suicide would have crossed my mind if it hadn't 
I hadn't had been in it so much mm-hmm. with because Frank and Kate, there was a girl my freshman year of high school on the volleyball team that shot herself. I mean, they all shot themselves. That's the That's strange thing. They Frank all Kate, shot themselves. Ugh. And but I'm from this town where guns are fairly easy for someone to grab. But, um, you know, there were I, I've known five people from the town that killed themselves. My, uh, you know, and another friend, David town. Spear, that was yeah. in, our, in my grade, too. I mean, they all pretty much. Yeah, it's it, so so I don't I can't say that I would have thought about suicide as much, but I also think that I probably would not have gone to therapy either, unless that's just an LA thing, which it could be. <laughs> it's common in LA. <laughs> yeah. In LA, people aren't for yeah. No, I'm at therapy. Oh, my therapist said, which when I go home, nobody has a therapist, but here, you know, we all have them. Right. So I I can't say I can't I don't know honestly how that would have gone, um, but. I think if I hadn't gone, I mean, I got to the point where I scared my, I always say I got to the point where I scared myself back to life, like to walk to the edge of a balcony and almost go. And Mm. then, yeah, and it just scared me back to life, which is good. Not to say that every day is perfect. I mean, you once it's in your blood, it's in your blood, but you find what, different ways to deal with it. Once it's in your blood, what is it? Like thinking about suicide. I think it's in your blood and you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found my show saved me. I mean, it's, because I can't stand up there and do the show and then turn around and take my own life. And I made myself that promise because there was the – I don't know his name, the author of the children's books that he did. They were kind of, I think, early preteen books and he wrote mm-hmm. about being suicidal and then he did end up taking his own life. And I just told myself before I did the first word on the show of stage, like, okay, well, if you're going to make this decision and you're going to stand out there and say life can be hard, but you have to fight through it, then you better be the the person to represent it. And so since then, yeah, I have bad days, but um, I get through it. And sometimes that does involve just crying in bed with Jezebel and Max talking to me, but they do their (laughs) job. You know, everybody in the voice in the house has a voice. If I had a fish, the fish would have a voice too. (laughs) Now, when they talk to you, is it out loud yeah, we have okay. a whole family conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hysterical. I mean, they they talk to everybody. When anybody calls my mom, my dad, <laughs> like my mom, she does. She's not a fan of dogs at all. Like she just she she. But 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 she is the first if the dog is sick to you know get that dog to the vet. She can't take it. Even when Flash died, I called because I had put him down, and it was probably. By the time I got home, it was two o'clock in the morning here, which is five in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I caught, and she knew. She just picked up the phone and said, "Don't tell oh. me." And she was already crying, you know. And so she's the most sensitive to it. Um, but uh, my dad, their my parents are coming for my show. My dad called and said, "I think it's going to be stressful. Maybe your mom and I should stay in a hotel." And Jezebel, my little dog, said, "I think Grandma would just be so sad if she can't sleep in the bed with me." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we all. I mean, it's just humor. Like when my friends are upset the dogs call them and have a full <laughs> conversation i should just do a dog cd probably i don't know maybe that's the next thing to do right <laughs> a, a one woman three being show something like that <laughs> yeah i mean because when i do this the show now for you know just for feedback I'm always shy to do flash. Like, God, I must look so crazy up here. And everyone at the end's like, you need to put more flash in there. <laughs> so I'm like, these people talk to their dogs too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, everybody talks Everyone to their talks to their dog. I don't know that everyone's the dog, dog talks, talks back, back to them, but everyone does talk to their dog. Um, now I'm going to ask the most important question. Are Jezebel and the puppies Maxwell? Maximilian. Maximilian. 
Are they also dachshunds? They are dachshunds as well. Those are my, I love dachshunds. They're snugglers. Do you, are you on Instagram? Yeah. Do you follow Har- Harlow and Sage? No. I sh- um, you it- should. It's the cutest dogs. There's like a, the, there's a big one, which is a Weimaraner, and then there's two dachshunds, and the who, their, their person who owns them is somehow able to always get the cutest pictures of them sleeping like spoons, like all Aww. nestled together. It's really cute. Harlow and Sage. I recommend it. Uh, I'll have um, to look for it. Yeah. So I just have more, I have more questions about the, of the specifics of Frank and Katie. Um, so with Frank, there were no signs you say. Well, looking back, yeah. But oh, no, right. No. Yes, you mentioned because that video. I have a lot because I was. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to turn it into a documentary, but there's enough. Uh, I mean, tons of video that if I get you know a little further with the show, I could tell the story in there behind me in the video. But yeah, his hair he had started like it went green, and then he bleached it white. And, and what did so? So for people who are like, what are you talk- talking about? You are raising funds to make a documentary right no the funds are going straight to the to suicide prevention okay my goal with this show is to basically have a like a a run like a john leguizamo run to to tour with it oh right but i mean i thought there was a kickstarter for the documentary no that i did that years ago to kind of um get to try to move it but i didn't really get enough to do anything but um so i just kind of paid to do another show and then i just give the funds away so um yeah i'm not doing a kickstarter for it now at this point i think i just feel better to just give it to the charity because i feel like if i just keep doing that the kindness will come back yeah i'll get my chance of what i really want but um but yeah that's that so this show it's just all all of it goes to dd hirsch for suicide prevention so is there a blindside documentary in the works though so i have all the footage yep and i just need the final help to make it a documentary gotcha (laughs) so where does the video um of frank come from so um okay the weirdest thing is that when frank died i had we had you know in high school i mean we had these tapes where we would just film games or whatever and for some reason i i mean never even dreaming that i'd be in hollywood or anything i had the instinct to grab it all from the high school and um i made this little senior video for him and um i kept all of it and so that's where it's from. So basically from our mm-hmm. – most of it's from our high school. But then for some reason I have the video of him and I at First Communion when we were teeny tiny. You know, and it's weird because I, I, my parents never had money for a video camera. So I don't even know where it came from. Right. But for some reason I had it all and I um, just got it put into DVDs and then obviously into – for the documentary. Did – you say there there were signs. Did you know that he was was depressed? No. And was he depressed? No, because he was just always so funny. But he'd have outbursts. He'd get all of a sudden just get really mad and start screaming. And I want to go home. I want to go home. Um, How old was he? Uh, 17. Yeah. So junior. Was he mentally ill? No. I mean, I no. Mm-mm. Very smart. Mm-hmm. You know, good looking. Hysterical. He was always so funny. Loved, two great, great parents that loved him. Two great sisters that loved him. Um, he was the baby. That's the interesting thing. He was the baby. I'm the baby, and Katie was the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. All both with two older siblings. Parents are both married. You know, mm-hmm. they love us. But uh, yeah, did he leave a note? Mm-hmm. What did he say? 
I don't really know all of it. I just, you know, I know that Katie was told that he had said, tell Katie, I will always love her, which looking back, I don't know why somebody would tell her that. I don't know. I mean, of course, people want to carry out, I guess, the wishes and that kind of chaos that happens when that kind of, I mean, that was, it was just such a, it's such a small town and that was such a big blow. Um, So she was told that. Did I see, I saw Katie's suicides notes, but I didn't see, I didn't see his. So how did the, Ta- sorry did I that's okay off? no no how did the town come to understand what had happened with frank nobody like, came to understand anything okay. it was it, we had the funeral and that was that let's not talk about it move it mm-hmm. forward same thing when katie died that's it okay at the get funeral, back to practice and school and football and <laughs> i remember going to the funeral for a student at my college who committed suicide or the I don't know if it was a funeral. I mean, I think there was like a funeral for the family, but this was a a sort of a thing for the students. Mm -hmm. And no one said the word suicide or even talked about the fact that it had been a suicide, even though he shot himself. Mm -hmm. He went to a gun range and shot himself. Like it was 100% suicide. Mm -hmm. And I was really bothered by the lack of... By the by, the fact that no one said that at the the memorial or funeral or whatever it was. Right. It felt... um, It felt like we're trying to whitewash this like f- final act of his life. Although I get the desire to see the suicide as this is a, this is the person shouldn't have to be defined by this. Like mm-hmm. I get that too, but I don't know. It just, it always, I always think about that, that it's just, I, yeah, I, I can't know. remember. Uh, well, this is what I do remember, you know, so a lot of in high Springs, but we were predominantly Southern, Southern Baptist and some Methodists, but, there was one little Catholic church. And so at Frank's funeral, um, you know, Catholics suicide is considered a bad thing. And so, um, then first of all, I guess like the humor of Catholic churches, I I see, I could go now and I still have no idea what the priest is talking about. My dad gets it, but he's like, did you get the message? No, (laughs) I never got the message. But you know, when we left Frank's funeral, I was with some, uh, you know, the friends and they were all Southern Baptists and how dare did that, that priest said that Frank went to hell. And I was like, I really didn't get that message, (laughs) but what is he supposed to do? Like what, what, what is an adult supposed to do when a kid kills themselves? Because you're in this horrible position where if it's, if it's, if it's not touched on, then they don't then other kids don't see the tragedy of what really just happened what do they see and i do believe this about katie and frank what did what did katie see but this massive funeral everybody hurting um, and maybe a payback to people who have hurt him mm-hmm. did she see the reality that frank wasn't coming back maybe maybe not but you know a year later we're in a in a baptist church now and you know, the same funeral for the uh, literally the same way, the same exact time. Everything was the same. And um, do you think it was glorified? I think that I don't think that it was glorified. And I, that's something I always worry about with this show because, you know, I'm constantly fighting for their memory. And does that, you know, I do worry when I do this in front of teenagers, you know, not not everybody's going to write. Believe me, 16 years of putting myself through this. Not everybody's going to do that for you. But I, it is a fear. But I don't think her their deaths were glorified. It was very this happened. This is a tragedy. Nobody, nobody knows what to do. Let's not talk about it. Let's right. just, I mean, you, I've interviewed for my documentary, my high school coach, um, Coach Shane, who, you know, laid these athletes to rest. And she said, you know, she, she didn't know what to do. 
you know, I, I, I remember that she called my, my high, I was in college playing softball and my coach drove me there and, and said, okay, we'll talk to these students. Well, I, you know, okay. Um, about Katie, just be there and say something. You're a leader. You're, you're, wow. they, they know you. And I was like, oh, you know, so I guess I was thrown into that position early, but I can't say that it was glorified. I can't say that it was real either that, you know, they accepted that, that death is the impact, mm-hmm. you know, had Katie or Frank known the impact it was going to have on all of us. I'm, I mean, it changed a lot of our lives. Like the people talk to me about it. Cause I talk about it and like, thank you for having the guts to talk, but it, you know, some of us be, I struggled with my own suicidal problems and ripping my hair out. And then others, drug addicts, um, some of them alcoholics, cause you can't process that kind of death that right. young. One, not much less two. <laughs> right. With Katie, did you, so you didn't see any signs with Katie? No, I mean, she had said to me, I, well, I knew that Frank's death bothered her because she'd say it all the time. Like, do you think that he, it was my fault? Do you think he, you know, he left my name in the note? Do you think that, that he did that because of me? And, you know, she'd say things with, you know, she's the youngest of the family. I'm the youngest, um, you know, getting picked on by the older siblings of, you know, you eat your porky pig, you eat too much or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she would say, oh, I just feel like shooting myself. But that's. I feel like that's just words. Yeah. Well, and again, when you're 17, especially, right. you, you're just like, stop. You're just, you know, stop beating yourself up. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just... It, In retrospect, nothing... do you think that was her t- trying to tell you something or... No, what was telling me something was when I walked into her room the day she died, she had that theme song from the Titanic on repeat. And oh. she always used to say it reminded her of Frank. And so then, yeah, you walk in and, and as, much as, I don't, as much as I don't want to say, yes, Frank's death was Katie's, you know, but, but they're connected. You can't, yeah. as much as I want to, you know, protect each side of it, there's no doubt that it was connected. But they had a crush on each other, but they hadn't dated or they had? They No, uh, there was a, uh, Katie's boyfriend was, was Frank's good friend. And so, oh. and uh, so there's like an unrequited element. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, being teenage girls, and I touch on this in my show with not enough self-confidence or self-worth, you just stick where you are and deal mm. with it. And so, um, but yeah, that definitely was hers because she was just, you know, a lot like me, just the, the loud and the bubbly one. And, and you just don't see that coming very popular very pretty she was she had the you know everything do you think it well no she i was gonna say do you think it was impulsive but she left a note so no not at all it was very like not only did she leave a note they were her i uh her handwriting was flawless and like she cut these squares and Mm -hmm. like left the jewelry for everybody and it was just flawless like it was you know there was no you could tell there was no shaking yeah in her hands and she, she, when I was doing interviews for my documentary, a lot of people said that the teachers had all talked after she died and that they had realized that she went to each one the day before and said her goodbye in her own way. And so for me, the night before she died, she did call me. And then in, in all those years, I was like, if I had just had called her back. But then when I did the documentary, I realized I probably would have gotten the same thing, a goodbye in her own way. What kind of goodbye was it? thanking them for what they had done for her and um you know just saying just just kind of i don't know i've been they didn't give me the words but i I, they just said they she pretty much just thanked them Mm -hmm. she said thank you so yeah it's so upsetting yeah it was an understatement (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, you know, we all, it's it's just crazy because that, that those two deaths, I always say, were this kind of the equivalent of September 11th. Like, mm-hmm. Alachua, you know where you were standing when you got the call, you know. Where were you? Well, when I heard Frank died, um, Katie and I were, uh, we were both on the softball team and our coach had sent us out to the softball field because um, I, she wanted me to practice pitching and Katie was a catcher. And we could hear screaming from i mean this is a small town so far far away probably three four football fields from the softball field to the high school gym and um we could hear like just screaming and wailing and someone came to get me because it was michael and my sister and his brother they thought something happened to his brother and my sister was um, engaged to him so katie and i went running in and then frank was just or michael was just screaming he he's dead and i was like dave's dead and he said he killed himself. And I was like, what? What? It was just chaos. Wait, what was Michael's relation to Frank? We had all been in school together see, since so we were – And Michael drove Frank home that day. Gotcha. So I yeah. guess they pulled him out to tell him that. And so th- that's where I, I was when when we found out that Frank died. Katie, um, I had been calling her all day. And I was – at this point, I was in college because I was a little older than her. And I was calling her because we had made this bet about breaking up with our boyfriends. And I ca- was calling her to see if she wanted to go get ice cream that night. So I kept calling and calling and calling, and then um, it was just this – I could see that night like slow motion. We drove past Michael's house, my mom and I, and there were all these cars out front. And since Michael's brother and Anita were getting married, I was like, is Angela having a party tonight, Michael's mom? And and my mom's like, no, I don't know why all those cars were there. And do you remember that song, Ben Folds 5, um, She's a Brick and I'm mm-hmm. – John- you remember that beautiful piano mm-hmm. It started right then, that beautiful – it was the first time it was ever played on the radio. They said, we have this new song, and uh, that beautiful piano music started. And it was just like slow motion. I said, I wonder why all those cars are there. And then I drove, and he started singing, and I said to my mom, for some reason, the song reminds me of Frank. And then we got home, and the phone was ringing, and I said to my mom, well, hurry up because um, I need to call Katie. And it was – my sister told me. Ugh. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah. So and it was just go to Michael's house. So what that was was the cri- uh, the crisis center. They were all there, and and I, which I've done fundraisers for them because they they were amazing. I mean, they came in with all these teenage. I mean, well, a small town, but two or three hundred teenagers, big deal. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to make <laughs> you <okay>. cry. <laughs> The show is much funnier. Trust me. <laughs> I am pregnant. And oh, so, like, oh everything... you're a little hormonal. Yeah, everything... That's hard. So you need to kiss your mommy. This is Wendy, right? The yeah. puppy. Wendy, come here. <laughs> she's used to you crying, maybe. <laughs> she's like, she's hormonal. Like every day. <laughs> you want me to do a voice? I can throw a seed. The voice works. <laughs> My goodness. Um. Sorry about this. No I, like, worry. I am hormonal, so a lot of things make me cry, but also... Well, I mean, this, this isn't necessary. Is it so doesn't sad. make you seem so crazy. But yeah, so um, <sighs> you can see how it's tough, tough to make a show funny out of that, yeah. but somehow I managed to do it. <laughs> do you get overcome by emotion when you're, when you're thinking about it or talking about it, or have you done it so many I, times? It's that not that. Just... I'm just so closed off. Like, even oh. when Flash died, like, it was just a couple like i cried and then i shut it off did you cry after frank and katie died oh um yeah but still i hid it i i hide it a lot but i do the 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 
I, I the only time I can remember really just where it just almost took me down was the first time after um, Flash died. About six months later, I did the show and I did his voice for the first time. And so, yeah, that that that's tough. But yeah, you can't. I, I just. I don't know. Even my the director of my show, um, Lauren, she always says, you know, it's okay if you cry. And I'm like, I just forgot how because you just shut it down because I'm so scared of it making me suicidal again that I just shut it down. Yeah. Were you before they died? Were you someone who was shut down? I mean, you talk about the hair pulling and stuff. So I'm thinking that I think I didn't know how to say emotion, tell my emotions at that point or cry. Um, but I can't I think my mom is just like that so I'm kind of she's I mean she'll have her moments but she's very I just kind of became that way so the only thing I knew how to do is show emotion through the dog and just be still funny but yeah I mean everybody cries and has moments but I remember I had really shut it down forever and ever and ever and then um, one Christmas my friend took me to see seven pounds have you seen that movie no. Well, it's it's um it's got a suicide theme to it and at the end when it happens um and the best friend is trying to handle everything, I had this major breakdown in the movie theater and my friend was fanning me because it just caught me off guard and she she didn't know what to do cuz she'd never seen me like that. Right. And I remember leaving and my entire thick winter coat was soaking wet. Like I could not. It just was it hit like too it close. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's just too close to home. So I remember, oh, thank you, Jeff, with the Kleenex. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I remember after my friend committed suicide, this is not the main thing I remember, but almost every movie I would see after that, I would be like, oh, I know what's coming next. That character's going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, which I thought I was like, I'm totally seeing what's happening. And uh-huh. instead, I was projecting suicide onto everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. And to everyone, like when you said that, said that earlier, I remember I used to kind of like do a Rolodex in my mind of everyone close to me and just like imagine if they were dead, imagine if they were dead, imagine if they were dead. And also I think some of this is sort of like trauma Um, for for a while afterwards. Sorry, I am so hormonally, pregnantly losing control of my emotions right now. Um, I would just like look around and see people moving and alive and to me that looked unnatural Mm -hmm. like this state of being animated seemed unnatural what's more natural is death Mm -hmm. did you have any of that no i you know i knew because i i I spoke at katie's funeral and so i knew that like you i just remember looking out and and seeing the pain in people's faces and thinking this isn't natural. This isn't natural for a seventeen-year-old to be talking at her best friend's funeral. It's it's not natural that this is two times. Like I, I, I always had a pretty good grip on that. That like I didn't have a grip on how to live my own life, and I still would say I don't really now. I I, I work, and I that's what I do. I work and I do this show, and I push anything that could potentially make me sad. Just whoop, push it away. 
But I always had a pretty good grip, but I had that fear, like you're saying, that they're going to die. They're going to yeah. die. You can't, they're going to kill themselves. And, and I lived in like, I have to go, I have to keep my word. Cause you know, after Katie died, then I was like, I didn't keep my word. I didn't call her back. I had made this pinky swear with her. We were going to yeah, So break what it. was the, the boyfriend bet? We, we, we made a pinky swear that we were both going to get rid of our boyfriends. And, <laughs> were they bad guys or? Eh, mine wasn't really the best. Hers, uh, Michael was, Michael was just an idiot. But a typical seventeen-year-old idiot. But but uh, mine had his own. I mean, uh, he came from a, a pretty tough family environment, and I sort of caught the back end of it. And um, but I loved him. I loved him every ounce of me, and uh, I stuck with it. And I oh, think, is this the boyfriend that you were talking about that you stayed with? No, you- that was a different one. Okay. I had to learn my lesson twice as <laughs> usual. <laughs> Different reasons were they jerks, but um, yeah, Katie wanted me to not be with him, and so she made this bet, and she wanted to, she didn't want to be with Michael, so we made a bet like we're gonna break up with our boyfriends, and um, th- and so we pinky swore, and uh, yeah, and so it was like you know call me well, well tomorrow we're gonna go out and be single girls, and so but I went to do it with my boyfriend, and I just didn't because I had no backbone and I loved him and I saw what he was growing up in his family environment and uh but she did and I know that because I saw I saw Michael at school the next day and he said did Katie tell you we broke up and I was like oh she did it and then you know she was she was gone so I I was obsessed with why I didn't keep my word and I didn't call her back and and now this has happened so I I became very obsessed with keeping my word and 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 then it would hurt when other people didn't do that and i Mm. kind of was like don't these people know what happens when you're flaky and when you don't keep your word don't these people know what happens and so it it really upset me and um and i would i would get hurt by it pretty badly and now i realize this is la and people don't keep their word most people are full of shit and you can't That's let it true, yeah. you let it push you over the edge no reason to jump off a cliff on that one or we would all not be here in la <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i i uh it's, it's it's hard to get a grip on that stuff especially when you're so young now the flip side of that is my grandmother she passed away the next year and she was like 88 and was this powerful italian woman you know and i had watched her kind of dwindle down to not being able to walk and so sick so it it gave me a different perspective on her death that she lived such a beautiful life such a long life and so i i it didn't pummel me in the way some people do get pummeled by death and and, and, you know by a grandma or a grandpa or you know as your parents get older um so it's something more i'm not saying it's not painful at all but there's something less horrifyingly unnatural about an older person dying yeah and i went through that with flash you know he was 18 and it was just this i i cannot say enough as it was the most peaceful experience that i had and i'm not a prayer but i was like katie i do talk to you know pray to katie i'm like katie please please don't make me make this decision please 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 for years and i i would just be so terrified and then when i did i was kind of like he's he's lived he's 18 you know, he, he's, he's lived his life. And, and so that was, that made it easier. Like he lived this beautiful long life and I gave him everything. I mean, he had more acupuncture than me. (laughs) (laughs) More trees. His food was more expensive than mine. So I'd have to say he lived a pretty good life. That guy. (laughs) Question from your research and from talking to people, when young people commit suicide, is it, 
often is it a different kind of phenomenon than when an adult does do you think um i think that well you know they say from what i've read and mind you i'm not an expert i just have had a lot of experience with it um you know with teenagers it tends to be a domino effect um and i and in adults you don't see that um at least not that i'm aware of so so i i think it, it is different in that sense um and adults, I think a lot of times, I mean, it can come from depression and mental illness, but sometimes I think it's just physical, you know, like Robin Williams, it was just, this, right. he was losing control of himself and getting older. And they say with men who get older, that's usually the, the common trigger is that they almost feel like they're going to be embarrassed of something that's coming with, with a certain type of with sickness. Illness, yeah. yeah. But with kids, um, it's just it's a lot of it's just uncalled for well, any suicides uncalled for but i mean i think it's just uh, someone told them they were stupid or ugly and and it's just oh i'll just kill myself it's different and then and then then one does it and then the next does it and then the next does i it. didn't realize the the domino effect thing why do you i know i'm asking you questions as if you're a clinician but mm -hmm. if you know what is the theory behind that is it that like it seemed suddenly seems like a good, good thing to do it's, a, it's just a good resolution um have you seen uh, well you may not have and i don't suggest it until you have the baby <laughs> <laughs> the most gut-wrenching documentary which by the way is like a hundred i can't even handle like, charlotte's web right okay, now. okay well <laughs> definitely even on listen i'm not a, and i didn't cry in this documentary but i gasped in ways like i it's called bridgend it is Bridgend? The, Bridgend, and it's a town in Wales, and it is the most gut-wrenching yeah, documentary. No, I'll not be seeing it. But it explained, like, it, it's a perfect example of these the, the domino effect of suicide because all these kids, like, I think it was, like, 122. Oh, my and, God. And, and, and then and the whole thing i mean it's it's crazy so i all i can say is that with teenagers at least when the the seed is planted into one head it grows and it spreads into others where i don't know that i've ever read anything about adults having that where it, it's kind of is is a domino effect right so that's the only difference i mean but i think that a suicide is shocking for anybody even like we said earlier even if you know the person was suicidal you still can't believe they went through with it right i think because it's, I'm going to say something obvious. <laughs> it's just such a f humongous final act. You know, I've heard it. It's, it's the homicidal instinct turned inward. Yeah. And it's like, I think the idea of murdering someone is pretty outside the, the, I don't know, just anathema to most people. So the idea of, do, of doing it to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, it's, it just doesn't make sense that we would, we would hurt ourselves, but right. certainly it is a problem because it's growing. I mean, it, you log into the computer every day and as much as it's so interesting because when I've met with people, a, just agents or whatever about the show, they're like, Oh, suicide. We can't No, Nobody wants to talk about that, but it, you should talk about it because it's on the internet every mm -hmm. day, almost every week. At least you log in. This person killed himself. I mean, it's 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 an epidemic, and it's just time. Especially to talk with about like the, all the cyber, the young people doing it as a result of cyberbullying. Those yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's interesting. So when you've talked to agents about the show, and like in terms of like booking agents and things, yeah. Well, even they the don't charities, want to touch it. The, even the charities are well. We need to see this because you might represent suicide in a bad light. Where I'm like, well, what does that mean? That I tell them to do it. That's the only thing I can 
put it together that it would be in a bad light. But you know, when when it's a set in a comedy venue, I think maybe they can't understand. But like, uh, it's not. You know, I'm. Like I, they I, want it to be very serious. Well, I guess, but you're not going to get people to listen or talk about it if you keep it that way. Right. And so, um, you know, you can't be. I'm not being funny when I talk about their suicides, but I swing you back up pretty quick. Like I just dip you in and I pull you back out. You know, and that's that's how I get away with it. But. Yeah, people don't want to it's it's this like nobody wants to talk about it. It's the forbidden subject, which is really bizarre. What do you make of that? That they're afraid that if we talk about it more people will do it. Yeah. Mhm. And I and I sometimes I think if I have a family, will I still want to do this or am I afraid of planting the seed in my child's head like the seed was planted in mine? But I think that I would talk about it because if if people had talked about it openly with me, maybe I would have been more comfortable and that's the goal of the show is to be able to say, you know what? I don't feel like living today and be able to, to reach out to mm-hmm. someone and say, because that's what you have to do. You have to, and, and nobody believes you at first, you know? They're like, oh, I know how you feel. No, no, you don't. Because if you did, you'd stop. Because I don't do that. When someone says to me, I want to kill myself, I stop in my tracks and say, well, what can we do to help you? Um, so, you know, it, it's a matter of getting the right person to hear you. Mm-hmm. Or a dog that hears you. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get um, associated with the Dee Dee Hirsch? I wrote them a letter. What's the last two words of their title? Dee Dee Hirsch. Mental Health Services. My brain only goes to Dee Dee Hirsch. It's Dee Dee Hirsch Mental Health Services. Yeah. So um, believe it or not, it's not easy to get charities to work with you. Um, And especially uh, with, you know, because I'm not famous. I don't, you know, and um, Dylan, you know, thank God for Dylan because Dylan's Mm -hmm. helping me. So he's opened some doors for me. Um, uh, but it's not, you know, I'm not Jennifer Aniston walking and saying, Hey, I'd like to raise you funds. And I think they get a little shell shocked by me because then I am like, Oh, here's $10,000 I raised because I have a lot of people who are supporting me because they, you know, they mostly they support me, but you know, I have a whole town in Alachua that like all experience this and they're rooting for it. And so it's hard at first to say, okay, I'm I'm not this famous comedian. No, I don't have 16 show dates booked (laughs) at the, you know, at (laughs) a big venue. Um, I have this one date and i'd like to give you the money and um you know people say to me well you should take your expenses out and it's like i said earlier oh no it'll come back the you know the good the kind act will come back so it i just wrote i i literally just write letter after letter after letter most charities never answer me or don't take me seriously or say and then what i've learned too is that you have to say okay who are you sending because i've had that too where i put this whole show on and then there and i pay for it and then there's nobody there and nobody from the charity, and then who trusts where the money's going? So right. that was the next lesson I learned. Like, okay, who are you going to send in? Are you going to have like flyers or something there? I need somebody to say something so that all these people that spent money on these tickets and this venue that gave us the venue sees somebody and we know where the money's going and what do you do with it? So, um, yeah. That's how I got Dee Dee Hirsch's. I had actually written another charity and they had said yes and then they said, well, we're not sending anybody. And I was like, well, then I'm not doing that. I mean, I need somebody here. So um, I wrote... Charity's being so selfish. Yeah. It's crazy, kind of. <laughs> scary, too. Um, so then Dee Hurst was great. They, they, they're they helping out. And Dylan, you know, he helped get the event on the calendars mm-hmm. over there. And um, they've been... Uh, they're sending someone to speak. So that's how I got um, right. introduced to them. And then after this one, I'll start it again and try to find somebody else, a new charity. How do Frank and 
<clears throat> Excuse me, Katie's families feel about the show? Oh, they they're very supportive. Katie's older sister and I are very very good friends. Um Corey, so they stay in touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're supportive of it. How are they doing? Um they're you know, they've moved they've all had their like Katie's parents and Frank's parents are grandparents now and um you know, all their siblings are living good lives and married, so they're you know, they're they're you know dealing they're going through life and they're mm-hmm. happy and you have that sad moment and i'm in touch with all of them um and and um they're very supportive and you know cheering for me and rooting for me and my high school softball coach still is like do not stop keep going she used to always say to me i remember when i was in high school and that was a big i was a freshman on the varsity softball team and it was a big like you know regional championship game and my coach said if uh, it was, I was this with the winning run, she's like, if the, that catcher drops the ball, you need to steal home. And I remember being this little freshman, like looking at her and uh, she said, no guts, no glory, Rizzy. And so that's always stuck with me. Like, it's terrifying to go up there and tell the story because people come in. First of all, you know, there's going to be people coming in next week that think they're seeing a comedy show. Mm-hmm. And it is funny, but there are moments that are not funny. So that's terrifying. And then I'm telling the worst part of my lives on stage. And a dog that talks for me <laughs> and I rip out my hair, but it all is for like just trying to help. If I can save one life from it, then mm-hmm. it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. And and if I can get it to where Katie and Frank will always be remembered because I pushed it to the top, then then they didn't die for nothing. They their Their death saved other people. And that's what's really important to me. And so that's that's the goal. And help people maybe like be okay to talk about it, which it's crazy because because at the end of the show, if I do a, a Q and A, which I'm not doing this time, um, how but come? If, well, for one, there's a show coming in Uh-oh. after us, and and it's it, I'm really nervous about doing it in a stand up venue. This mm-hmm. is the first time I've ever I'll have the mic in my hand versus like a, a lav mic. I'm it's my first time. Where I can see, because it's really uncomfortable to see faces, you know, in right. a theater, there it's black. You, you're like talking to a wall, uh-huh. but here I can see the faces. So I already told my friend, you put my mom and dad in the back, do not put <laughs> them, you know. And it's not about the suicide parts, but you know, I make sex jokes like that. He hears them, but he can sit in the back right. for them. <laughs> um, so maybe there will be surprise for your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. I think he's heard it all. But he's like, yeah, that's my. What did he say in the documentary interview? Jeanette has an unconventional way of loving i think is how he put it. <laughs> um but yeah what does that mean <laughs> that i would say that, well i think that i just look at relationships much differently okay. which you know i do i i look at really you know i don't look at relationships the same as most people um i don't feel the pressure of them or um, but yeah, so my dad, he's used to that part, but yeah. So, and, you know, going in there and, um, getting up, it's, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but at the end, if I help one person be able to look at somebody and say, help me, then I did my job and it's worth it. Yeah. Wait, and, how do you look at relationships? Sorry. No, I cut you off. What were we going to say? <laughs> oh, and then that was then it. we're plumbing that depth. Okay. So wait, how do you look at relationships <laughs> that you feel like is different? Well, I, you know, I watch my friends date and they, uh, you know, they date and it's like, well, we went on one date. So I really need to focus on this one person. And well, he disappeared, but I don't know. And I just, you know, 
until I'm married and I have a ring on my finger, I, I just, I think you should have fun with life and, and, you know, explore the opportunities. And I don't think if a guy takes me out and has dinner with me and has, you know, we, we sleep together that he owes me anything or I owe him. I don't have, I'm not his girlfriend. I can do what I want, you know, whenever I want. And this so, is the goal of like all the self-help dating books I read many years ago. And I'm it's, it's it's so, so hard funny. to pull it we off. Were at work. Oh, no, I don't think so. Like, I think it's for, I think for a lot of women it is, but you know, for, and maybe yeah. it's just cause I don't, but, but I just don't attach in the way most people do. And, and I date and I have these, you know, uh, since the one ran away, I've dated great men, like great, great men, but I don't know that I found the right one because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just, I say in my show, like, I just, I'll know it's the right one when he doesn't make me feel more suicidal than I already am. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like, you know, I just, you, you deserve to be number one and they deserve to be number one. And with me, that show comes up and it's, there's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care what you need from me. It's not ha- like the show is number one and, 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 you know, they deserve to be number one. And so I think all that just comes in due time. But like, I have a, I have a sperm donor and he's my best friend in the whole world. And like he, when I, when I was 25, he was my client as uh-huh. a trainer. And he was like, if you're 35 and you don't have a, a kid, I'm going to donate my sperm for you. And I thought, and on my 35th birthday, he's, he lives in, in Thailand. He's like, I'm going to fly in and you know, you don't have just, if you want it by the, you know, so here's just, my jizz if you want it. Yeah. And so like, it's, and it's like to everybody that sounds so foreign. But to me, I'm like, look, he's my best friend. I'm 37. I'm not married. If I want a baby, why not have it with somebody who lo- he loves every ounce of me mm-hmm. for me? We've never slept together. We've never dated. Like we went to meet – I flew to New York to meet his family and <laughs> – like these 70 year olds were like why would you pay so much money why don't you just have sex and we're like gross <laughs> <laughs> and you know but he loves so if i go on a date he still asks like how to go mm-hmm. you know but uh yeah you know I, that's i just look at it like whatever's meant to be will be i'm not going to force anything and definitely one thing i do not do is if a guy disappears they don't hear from me you know, and a lot of my friends, oh, I text and he didn't answer. I text again. He didn't answer. No, if you walk out that door, mm-hmm. you just keep walking. Are you tempted to contact them, though? Or nah, no, not really. I'm tempted maybe sometimes for certain guys that are great in bed. But it's more their penis I want to text than them, really. <laughs> I don't. But no, I still don't. Like, I just... I just believe that one thing I know about men, and I know nothing about men, but I do know one thing. If they want you, they will go yeah. after you. And so if the, you are, you're not hearing for them, he's just not that he's into just you. Not, yeah, <laughs> which like is so true. Yeah. It is true. But it's like if you're not hearing from them, let them go. You know, just it but is what it is. Do you – by the way, I wish I could have been that not – clingy and and not attachy right away for so many years of my dating life so it would have made life so much easier do you feel like you have a problem attaching though or do you feel like you're just super duper healthy no i would i would say i have i i don't say i I wouldn't say that i have a problem attaching but i would say that it's not easy to it's it's hard for me it's very easy for me i'm good to them like i i have no problem being good to somebody but I don't believe until there's a ring on my finger that I need to be attached or be – it's just – it's hard to explain, I guess. I, I just feel like I – when it's right, it'll be right and maybe I'll want to. But 
um, I, I just maybe just haven't found the right person. I think that if I did, I mean, because I've had boyfriends and, you know, I, I acted accordingly, but <laughs> um, I, it just, you know, it just, I don't feel, I feel like I should be happy a lot. And I know you're going to fight in relationships and it's not like if I have a fight with somebody, I'm like, I'm leaving. But um, most of the time after a couple months, I start to feel I'll give you the example. I just watched this video of Maya Angelou, and she said, love should liberate you. Mm -hmm. It should liberate you. And I don't feel that way. When I'm in a really – I feel smothered. I feel like I can't go after my dream, and I feel like that is – I cannot – stop until I get what I want to to keep Katie and Frank's memory alive and and I don't feel like anybody shoves me into that I feel like deep down they're hoping that it fails and then good she'll she'll be here with me and so oh well fuck them yeah well so yeah so that's and that's why I I would say Mm -hmm. no I I probably could attach if I felt like somebody was always constantly pushing me forward yeah um, and and really in my corner yeah, I mean, I here's unsolicited relationship advice from someone who you don't know. Um, I do. I think it's quite possible it's just not been the right person. Because for me, when I met the man who I'm now married to, I did feel more comfortable and more able to do all these things. Because I used to wonder, how can I ever? This is pathetic, but I'd be like, how can I be? How could I be in a relationship and be pursuing my career at the same time? Because mm-hmm. I didn't understand. It always seemed like somehow I'll have less time for all that. And all of a sudden, I felt I had more time for it. And mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it was a totally different feeling than any of the relationships that I'd had before. Yeah, and I can't understand it. I actually, um, I was talking with the my director of my show, Lauren, the other day. And I said, well, she, I, it's my first time working with a female. And she said, why is that? And I was like, well, because every time I try to work with a female, my schedule has to go around their boyfriends and all <laughs> these things. And I, I don't have time for that. And uh, she's the first person that I've worked with that it's not like that. And um, so I, I, I can't imagine that. Like, I can't imagine. And maybe that's because when I was in my high school relationship, everything went to the side for him, including, and I feel like I should have been with Katie that night instead of him. And never again will I not be with a friend or my dream for a man. If he loves me, he can sit back and wait. And so, but, uh, you know, men get, get men. It's funny how offended a guy will get when he leaves you and he's expecting you to say, why'd you do that? Man, they get offended when you don't ask. (laughs) When you just let them go. Yeah, yeah, they're just mad. They're hot about that. Like, you didn't call. Well, you left. What was I supposed to do? Right. I right. remember um, the guy that really broke my heart when he, he ran away like four times. But the first time he did, he left some of his stuff and I threw it out. And then he was so mad at me that I did that. And I was like, you left it and ran away and threw the keys on the floor. Well, how could you throw my stuff out? Because you ran away. It's like you're supposed to know. Well, I was, I was supposed to know you're going to come back, yeah. and uh, six months later, and I was supposed to leave your shit in my house and look <laughs> at it. No, I'm not like you're vindictive. No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just. I didn't think you were coming back. So yeah, it, I find it. I think it's hilarious. To, like that that part, my friends, they just don't get. Like I called why, why, why? You ain't gonna get me to say why. There was a reason. I don't need to know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's um, do just me or everyone, which is where people write in. (laughs) 
with things they think or do that make them wonders or just mirror everyone. But first, I want to tell you guys, um, hey, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, perhaps some of the sad movies we mentioned before, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show. Thank you so much for all of your Amazon support. Um, and also, subscribe to my podcast, itunes.com slash alisonrosen is where you can do that. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, leave a nice review click five stars it's my favorite number um because that helps the show as well and i'm on patreon uh patreon.com slash allison rosen there's all sorts of rewards and bonuses if you go there and extra content and that kind of stuff okay sometimes i ponder on something i have thought or done is it just me or everyone Okay. Hansi Copperfield says, I never have as much contempt for my coworkers as when I'm trying to drop a deuce in peace and people keep coming in. Hashtag shy. I don't know if I'd say, well, given that I work from home, this doesn't happen a lot to me. But in general, if this is happening in, in a public restroom and, and, but it's like not a well-trod public restroom, but then someone walks in, I'm like, God damn it. Where are you with this? I hold it for really? days and days. <laughs> it just, I, my bowels like shut down in public. No pooping at the gym? No, no. But it, it, it's like I can hold it and hold it and hold it. And then like they know when I'm like a Who's- mile away from my house, they're like, oh, oh we're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's the emperor. The emperor knows when you're home. <laughs> uh, Greg's legs says, not sure why, but anytime a woman calls her husband hubby and a guy calls his wife wifey, I assume they are swingers. I've never made that assumption, but it, I could see it being the case, but I could also not see it being the case. I just assume they're happy. <laughs> really? I yeah. assume they're cute. Yeah, they're Cutesy. a happy, cute couple. Yeah. Um, let's see. Leela Rolling Stone says... Finally throw out all those quote-unquote useless napkins in my glove compartment just in time to spill something extra messy in car. No, this is why I can't throw away extra napkins in my car or paper towels or in my purse because I just assume I'm going to need them someday. So I walk around with like extra napkins and whatnot. Yeah, I'm anal. I have none of that. Really? Yeah. Do you have a really neat house? My house isn't perfectly neat, but my car is. I'm anal about my car. It has to be immaculate. Have you always been this way? About my car, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you let people eat? You probably don't let people eat in your car. I silently loathe them when they do it. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine ate a Kit Kat in my car. See, I still remember it. <laughs> this is a lot, like two cars ago. But it was it was new for me, the car was. And she got a little bit of chocolate on the seat. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was so irritated by that. Yeah, that, I'm the same way. If someone spills something in the car, yeah. it's, it, you know, I don't say anything because I don't want to be that crazy person. But I didn't say anything, but I did say something to, I, to my bandmates. I was playing in a band at the time. And they both made me feel like, like, it, like I'm high strung and there's something wrong with me for mm-hmm. caring about that. Yeah, so exactly. Perhaps there was. <laughs> I don't think so, but... <laughs> um okay megan says cauliflower makes for terrible leftovers hashtag my lunch stinks yeah cauliflower stinks i like it a lot but it smells yeah i can only eat it if it's like fried in something have you been to public school 
They have this fried cauliflower appetizer. That's pretty much the only time I can get it down is fresh and fried. What is this public school that you're talking about? Oh, there's one in Sherman Oaks um, on Sepulveda and Ventura. Jeff, do you know it? And there's one downtown and Culver City. No, I've never heard of it. Oh, it's really good. So the, it's it's called public school and they do like their um, like happy hour. And it's a good, it's a restaurant, but it's a great kind of a gastro pub, I guess. But they have the best cauliflower appetizer. So if you go... But I couldn't that. imagine bringing it left over for lunch yeah. the next day. Oof. No. That's some tricky branding, calling the place to eat public school and expecting people to be excited about it. Oh, that's what it. they right. call their happy hour, recess. They call it oh, recess. Oh, that's yeah. cute. <laughs> Still, if you say, I had something really good to eat at public school. Oh, is it Salisbury State? Right. Hey. Yeah, when you first said it, I thought, well, I have been to public school, but I don't think there's a standardized cauliflower kind of situation. You guys have to try it if you're there. Bruised by Dawn says, if I had a dollar for every time I've accidentally ripped the earbuds out of my ears, I'd have some real money. Yeah, that's the problem with earbuds. They rip out of your ears and you feel suddenly ear naked. Yeah, I'm another, I guess I'm diagnosing myself as a little anal about that. I can't wear earbuds. They make me nauseous. I think they're so dirty. I wear like fake things like this. Okay. So I'm out of style in the gym, but yeah, no earbuds for me. Can you wear earplugs? Mm-mm. So you can't put anything in your ear. Okay, Matt says, on TV, if there's a bedroom love scene where they keep some clothes on, it reminds me I'm not watching a premium channel. I I never really have that thought. Yeah, I know, me either. Jeff? I feel like you nodded a tiny bit in recognition. No, I did not. I was I was kind of shaking my head, baffling. That oh, okay. This, yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of didn't. I mean, really, on ABC nowadays, their scenes are pretty hot and heavy. Yeah, I do more of that of like, what? This is on the <laughs> yeah, eight o'clock on a right. yeah, yeah, like, really? This is happening yeah. in an ABC family. <laughs> Ariel Rawlings Cone says. Impossible to not notice driving scenes in movies or TV where the headrests have been removed. Who drives like that? I, I find it possible to not notice that, actually. The thing that I that always gets me in the driving scenes is just the crazy oversteering. That is what pulls me out of the scene. I have never noticed that, ever. I never noticed that either. Now I'm going to notice the, the shit out of that. The headrest yeah. or the steering? Yeah, the headrest. Yeah. When people saw on the steering wheel, yeah, yeah that drives me nuts. Um, yeah, no, I've never noticed the headrest either. Mm. But that, that, but it makes sense. On old-timey TV, they used to take the rearview mirror off because it right. had the little button where it would glue right to the, to the uh-huh. uh, windshield. And so you would always see the button there, but no rearview mirror. I did not know that. That used to drive me nuts. Yeah, watch some Adam 12. Yeah, it'll drive me nuts. <laughs> okay, and lastly, Matt says, don't like the Verizon Can You Hear Me Now guy doing sprint ads. Seems like he's either bitter or sold out. Yes. How can he be doing them? I guess his his non-compete thing clause must have run its course. But yeah, I have that same reaction of like, what? <laughs> you? I remember Facebook was all bent out of shape about it when it first happened. I thought, well, that's kind of why they did it. Yeah. And now when I watch the commercials, he seems so indignant. <laughs> and I guess that's what they're telling him to do. But I, it just makes me not care. Right. Agreed. Um, Jeanette, thank you so much for coming on the thank show. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I made you cry. The show is not that sad. It's Well, I mean, it's sad, but it's... Do people maybe, cry at the show? Yes. 
They oh, do. So but it they is laugh. That sad. It, it is that sad, but they laugh harder than they cry and they leave laughing and smiling and uplifted. So you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel inspired. Hopefully. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming and telling your story. Sorry, I completely lost my shit midway through. That was weird. That has never happened. I've cried before, but never like like that i'm sorry i didn't mean no no, to no it's not don't, no, no no it's i don't honestly it's not you i think it like touched on something that just needed to come out in the middle of the podcast <laughs> well then then i did my job i yeah. gave you a little therapy today <laughs> thank you very much um okay so tell people where to go to find you and to find the show but first Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. Okay. And now you plug everything. Okay. So you can find me on Facebook and Twitter under my name, which is Jeanette Rizzi, two N's, two T's, two Z's. Not one in. Um, <laughs> and then you can find all the details on my Facebook page, which, again, I'm under Jeanette Rizzi. Under Twitter, I'm under Jeanette Rizzi. Or you can go to the Hollywood Improv site. Um, and under October 20th, you'll see it right there, the uh, blindsided. Just click on it. All the proceeds are going to the um, D.D. Hirsch Mental Health Services. So it's for a completely good cause. Special thank you to the Improv, who is donating all the proceeds. And, and, and let me have the space and uh, everyone who's coming out that night so it will be a fun night uh it starts at 7 30 uh it'll be a good show sulu mccullough is a comedian who is introducing me um so i look forward to working with him because he's amazing and uh, former monk and former nun will be in attendance they will be in attendance in the back so i assume god will be there too <laughs> all right thank you so much thank you listeners thank you for listening i love you goodbye hey do you know about the allison rosen show Yeah, Alison Rosie.